we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. So, with a week of thanks in the past here, with Thanksgiving just being completed, it is one thing that I am thankful for that I, as well as a lot of my colleagues, have not participated in the ongoing debacle that is the medical profession's profession of safety and efficacy of the jab. Given that, one thing we would like to do is kind of run through some current data, current news, I would say, of what's really going on with the shot. Most of, I would imagine, most of the listeners that uh, listen to our podcast have by now realized or already knew that going out and seeking that uh, SEC-approved, you know, football commercialed um Pfizer vaccine, the updated vaccine, uh, we would call a jab, is uh, less than useful. But uh, there are many that aren't. And that is despite the ongoing evidence that many countries, many countries that really don't have the same kind of health system or profit motive uh, that uh, our current health system has to evaluate these shots for what they are, which is not only not helpful, but in the end, detrimental to the health of their populace. So with that, Stuart, let's run through a couple things. If you wanted to start out with uh, some of the more recent things we found, I think South Korea is probably the one place that uh, seems to be doing a lot of uh, epidemiological studies on their uh, population who've been vaccinated versus not vaccinated. Thank you, Stephen. We enter into the Christmas season. So, uh, it looks like South Korea, somebody has taken the, uh, the blinders off, and uh, they're starting to publish some interesting data. Uh, of course, it's three or four years later than it should have been, but because uh, the, um, the evidence has been there from the beginning. Um, but South Korea has a couple of papers I found in the preprint server. And um, I'm anxious to hear uh, your take on the first one about the hematologic abnormalities after the COVID shots. And it is a large uh, Korean, South Korean population-based cohort study. And uh, just as a side note, uh, I have been here in Montgomery. We are blessed to have the headquarters for uh, Hyundai, which is a South Korean company. And I've been a big fan of uh, South Korea for a long time, way before they became uh, they came here. Uh, but um, with Hyundai, but uh, maybe twenty twenty five years ago, I read, and you remember uh, South Korea uh, up until the early fifties was completely uh, like all the other Asian countries to an extent. Um, and now they have been considered for decades the Asian tiger, the financial or economic agent, Asian tiger with all the developments. And I attribute that to the blessings of uh, our Lord because 
they have nine of the ten largest churches in the world are in South Korea, or at least 20 years ago were in South Korea. And uh, the Lord, what the Lord did there is uh, blessing upon blessing. But anyways, uh, that's kind of a side note as to my appreciation for the South Koreans. Um, but here they are looking at the hematologic abnormalities, and the other one looks at the musculoskeletal. But um, I would like to read several of the things they say. And the, the included participants were vaccinated and non-vaccinated persons aged 20 years and older. And they looked at 4.2 million. And hematologic, yeah. so it's a pretty good data source. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of people. Um, obviously, I think... Uh, you're talking about um, wanting these kind of large amount of people in an observational study. Right. But the uh, interesting thing was non-vaccinated. It looks like it's about, you know, 85% of people were vaccinated and only about 14 to 15% weren't. Right. Um, and then from that standpoint, there's literally changes in nutritional anemia. So these are hematological abnormalities, aplastic anemia, meaning production of um, basically hematological sub red blood cells, those kind of things, coagulation defects, um, 4.85 versus 1.85. Um, and then that, that, that's a big deal. Five to comparing 4.85 to 1.85. The P value is less than 0.001. I mean, there's no equivocation what these things are doing. Yeah. These shots are doing. Yeah, and then the interesting thing about that one specifically was all the other ones seemed to show that the mRNA vaccine definitely had a higher, uh, you know, issues with these things. So nutritional anemia and aplastic anemia. Um, but the COAG defects, it really didn't matter whether you had the mRNA vaccine or a viral vector vaccine. It was present either way. So again, going back to, you know, the fact that the um, spike protein itself is, is, um, not necessarily, uh, it's the mRNA is bad, but mRNA is bad in different ways. But it seems like the coagulation issues, which we know from the virus itself, when people get the infection, that coagulation issues are the kind of primary thing that we see. Um, the nutritional anemia and aplastic anemia probably um, are more related to penetration, I would guess, uh, that the mRNA is able to do. Um, versus what a viral vector vaccine can do. So, yeah, yeah. and and the modified mRNA, really, uh, that um, we've been talking about, and I remember, I think, first hearing Dr. Malone talk about it two, two and a half years ago, uh, the modified, that modified word <laughs> has a big punch behind it. Uh, modified messenger RNA, this, uh, these shots produce a messenger RNA or have a, a messenger RNA that's not normal it's hard to break down. There's much more da dangerous and deadly. Um, and here we go. Here we're seeing the manifestations of it. And by the way, these these were part of the Pfizer 5.3.6 uh, document. Um, these uh, findings. Remember, there were uh, I think fourteen hundred, uh, fourteen hundred twenty-three maybe adverse events found in those confidential quote-unquote Pfizer documents uh, that were pub that were uh, from February 28th of 21, the first 10 weeks of the shot. They knew about these kind of things. Um, 
And of course, they didn't want us to know about them. But uh, all of these things uh, they've known about from the beginning. And it uh, looks like a lot more damage, death, and destruction has occurred as a result of it. But uh, let's go through, um, let's just start with the first one they talk about um, nutritional anemia that you mentioned. So uh, 15 to 10, 15 p value lessens 0.001. Um, Nutritional anemia. Then you looked at aplastic anemia, which is something very uh, concerning. Uh, 7.83 versus 5. Once again, p, all of these p less than zero point, less point zero zero one, very plastic anemia. Um, and I would say, when you think about nutritional anemia, what I, you as a former OBGYN resident can imagine what probably some of the nutritional anemia is coming from. I guess right, Stuart. Right. Sure, sure, sure. And, so menstrual uh, abnormalities yeah. causing heavy flow because the higher risk of nutritional anemia, which is usually anyway was in women, uh, three uh, three to one in terms of its hazard ratio. So, um, yeah, we looked at the uh, excess bleeding in our um, paper that was published last May in the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, and there was a 1,192-fold increased menstrual abnormality risk associated with these shots compared to the unvaccinated or compared to the flu shot out and so um, we know that these things are kicking the uh, ovarian hypothalamic uh, axis and the uterus itself, causing decidual cast. And things. But the point is, like Jordan was alluding to, is uh, all of these uh, shots are hurting the reproductive tract and uh, causing uh, a lot more problems outside of that. Yep. Then the second one they go through is aplastic anemia. And um, the weird thing about that one is if you read it, it says the risk of aplastic anemia was significantly increased only in the mRNA vaccine group mm-hmm. compared to the viral vaccine groups. The mRNA vaccine group had significantly increased risk overall. So, and that kind of makes sense again, when we think about um, what we have talked about before, the mRNA's ability to penetrate to areas, obviously the, um, the bone marrow is where uh, hematological substances are created. And it's very unusual for a virus or viral vector uh, vaccine to get to that area. But when you have something that is wrapped in lipid nanoparticles uh, that really can go anywhere in the body, um, the bone marrow is probably going to be able to be accessed by the mRNA while in the um, – uh, viral vector vaccine group, it's not. So yeah. I don't find that that surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all over the body, of course. All these shots uh, go all over the body, even though they swore to us. Just be a couple hours in the shoulder. Um, just absolutely broad, deadly. Um, so with the other thing, the risk of coagulation defects that you are really in my mind, one of the world's experts on. And by the way, a side note, Dr. Uh, Peter McCullough on Saturday reposted your interview with Cheryl Atkinson demanding that you be funded for this wonderful research you're doing from our federal government. And I could not echo that uh, louder than 
and hope that uh, this happens because what you're doing is really heroic and needed. It's sad that the big university down the street from you won't uh, won't go down this path of true science. But um, yeah, talk about the uh, coagulation defects. Well, so, I mean, just a couple things looking at, again, that what they're doing is an observational study of coag defects. Like, um, and it's interesting that in this case, the mRNA vaccines, as well as the viral vector vaccines, seem to equally cause um, coagulation defects compared to the non-vaccinated people. Um, why I find that interesting but not surprising is because, again, coagulation, especially when we talk about uh, you know, all the different factors, those are things that your body's going to be exposed to through, throughout, you know, throughout everything. It's basically, it's running in the actual blood system every day. So, um, you know, that, that I don't find that crazy to think. And this is true. Even when we talk about, when I see patients, uh, the MRNA vaccine, as well as the uh, Johnson and Johnson seem to have coagulation abnormalities in equal parts. Um, so that, to me, just in people that I've seen, it doesn't seem to make a difference what you got. Um, now, I will say there's a lot of other things unrelated to the hematological system that seem to make a difference. I think neurological abnormalities are probably much more um, you know, part of the mRNA um, uh, vector or yeah. the mRNA, uh, what I would call background. Um, but the one thing that it did say is di- diabetes decreased the risk of coagulation defects. Um that's an interesting finding as well, but that assumes for me that most of these people are probably on things like metformin uh, yeah. or yeah. SGLT2 inhibitors like Jardians. And so those are things that actually help the coagulation system by downregulating a lot of the things that inhibit femoralysis. So uh, it's funny just reading through these kind of observations. They're observations that um, make a lot of sense. So yeah. Uh, reading through this, this kind of correlates exactly with what we're seeing in the office. What do you think, Stuart? Yeah, no question. Uh, the You alerted me to it about how all of this, uh, these um, chronic disease states, uh, one of the fundamental core issues may be the uh, coagulation and the uh, hematologic factors going on at the cellular level. Uh, that are impacted by things that uh, we're doing to treat patients from these vaccine injuries and for COVID infection. Yeah, and then lastly, the neutropenia was the interesting one. You know, we yeah. talk a lot about that, yeah. but neutropenia rate was low, and then yeah. the COVID-19 vaccination didn't affect the risk of neutropenia, which is surprising to me because, yeah. you know, so. again, we talk a lot about how it affects the immune system, but I think it affects the immune system not in the primary way. It doesn't necessarily make you basically deficient in immune cells. It just, I would argue, activates them in the abnormal way. So, um, Well, I think that uh, that kind of was uh, the most surprising thing that I wasn't, uh, that I have been reading about for the last four years now, um, in that the neutropenia uh, is a chronic thing that I have found to be a good uh, thing to be careful or to be monitoring i guess uh because um it is i i I, i'm gonna need to be reevaluating my uh fundamental value looking at these uh, white blood cells because i had been thinking that they were uh they were lower after the vaccine but uh, this is 
making me reassess that and go back to the fundamentals, right? Yeah. The next yeah, and thing, I think um yeah. I think the uh you know, revving up the immune system is probably what's going on as opposed to down regulating the immune system. I think most of these people um when I see them their immune system is um overactive uh rather than underactive. So but not, I mean, again, neutropenia doesn't always mean underactive, but and right. how I would look at it, it'd be like, you know, for the most part, um, I would say most blood cells or blood counts that I look at, the white cells counts okay. The thing that's low is the red blood cell count, which I guess this, um, this story or this, uh, this observational data kind of attests to. So yeah. with that, we will be back. We'll talk about another South Korean study. Uh, that looks at uh, muscle skeletal issues. I think this is probably pretty important because I think a lot of people are walking around uh, feeling it and wondering why they feel so old. And this kind of points to that. So again, this is Dr. Jordan Vaughn, Dr. Stuart Tangersley. We uh, on America Out Loud Pulse, uh, always one beat ahead. We will be back. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. In 2008, people could spend an average of 12 seconds on a task without becoming distracted. Five years later, it was only eight seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down. Thousands of five-star reviews proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Hey, everyone. Nurse Kimberly Overton here from Nurses Out Loud. Over time, our cell signaling molecules diminished, leaving us vulnerable to the wear and tear of life. With the Sea of Redox, you can restore and revitalize your body at the cellular level. This is an incredible product that I personally use and can attest to seeing fantastic results, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. ASEA supports your immune system, enhancing your body's natural ability to repair itself. It promotes overall well-being so that you can experience a new level of vitality and resilience. It's time to take control of your health and experience the power of ASEA. Visit our online store today at americaoutloud.shop and use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15%. Be sure to tune in to Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Yeah, I would say the interesting thing is if you just read the study, 
in their abstract, they actually have a kind of bold line. When you talk about an abstract, it's like, well, what is the purpose here? Um, the importance here says early research on COVID-19 vaccines identified a range of adverse reactions related to pro-inflammatory actions that can lead to excessive immune response and sustained inflammation. Thank God somebody uh, states that. I mean, I, I think that would probably probably be uh, censored on Twitter. But then the next thing it says, however, no study has been conducted on the association between inflammatory musculoskeletal disorders and COVID-19 vaccines. And they're right about that. Um, again, that, you know, so again, the, those two sentences are just kind of a microcosm of the ongoing issue. So we know these happen. And then the, the response is, has anybody looked at it? And the answer usually is no. And so um, I would say it's almost like every domain of medicine, we need to evaluate something. We've had a program uh, that was pushed by our government and you know, pharmaceutical medical complex. Um, and we know that at least in the individual cases, we have a bunch of evidence of these poor outcomes and these issues, these, you know, what I call adverse or serious adverse events or just straight adverse reactions. Yet uh, we have very little, obs- you know, data to inform physicians to be looking for them as cause. And so that to me is, uh, you know, why most physicians say, well, there's no evidence. The problem is, is just like a crime scene. If you don't visit it, guess what? There's not going to be Stuart. Exactly. So at least those two sentences, I think are, I wish we could do that with every, whatever the first 1300 that were identified in the Pfizer documents. We probably need to have, early research on these identified a range of adverse reactions, including blank. And they can lead to blank. However, no study, you know, let's, let's get an association because observational studies like this, again, it's Korea is probably a good place to do it because of their health system. Um, it has its deficiencies because most people in Korea are Korean. Um, and that has its own issues. Uh, America is very different in the fact that we are, um, multicultural and racial in many ways. Uh, but it does give us kind of a sign. And a lot of times what was identified in the early research on the vaccines seems to be relevant when we do it, when we apply it to large observational studies, which is kind of how science works. So, um, you know, if you saw it in the study, uh, you might see it when you roll it out to billions of people. So... Well, what's interesting about this paper is orthopedist is that uh, these and the the primary outcome was the occurrence of inflammatory musculoskeletal disorders that were selected as plantar fasciitis, rotator cuff syndrome, adhesive capsulitis, herniated intervertebral disc, spondylosis, bursitis. Achilles tendonitis, and the tendonitis, And none of these were in those Pfizer documents. And uh, which is interesting because in that hematologic one, there were, and in this one, there are not, uh, which looks at the, this, these kind of diagnoses are, uh, these are at the uh, ground level. These are where the a rubber meets the road where the patients are being evaluated by a physician for an acute issue. 
And uh, so just keep adding to the thousands of known diagnostic problems. But uh, all of them, multivariant logistic regression analysis was used to determine the risk factors musculoskeletal disorders after adjusting for potential after adjusting for potential confounder. Among 2.2 million people, 85% received two doses of the shot, 15 did not, 15% did not. At 12 weeks after vaccination, the incidence of plantar fasciitis, rotator cuff syndrome, adhesive capsulitis, uh, spondylosis, bursitis, Achilles tendonitis, and decrevain, and uh, the vertebral issues were higher in all three vaccinated groups, mesgRNA, circular DNA, and mixing and matching vaccines when compared to the unvaccinated group. All COVID vaccines were identified as significant risk factors for each inflammatory musculoskeletal disorder. Odds ratio 1.4 to 3.7, except for mixing and matching vaccines for Dequervain. So, and, and what I'd like to do is a real quick, Stuart, is kind of give a reason why this can happen. Right. So, um, so this uh, actually happens in viral infections a lot anyway. And what right. happens is your body's, your immune system basically makes antibodies to attack um, things. And so those antibodies uh, can also, we call it molecular mimicry. They can end up making um antibodies that end up targeting areas. And one of the areas that seem to be targeted, uh, and this is throughout history and, you know, just very common, we used to call it, uh, you know, Ryder's syndrome or um, these, these kind of things. Bacteria can do it too. They seem to target things like the synovium. So joints that have um, synovium or, uh, or fluid, um, you know, fluid joints on them. So, um, and that, so these, you know, if you ever had a really bad cold and then had a weird um, knee throbbing, swelling a few weeks after that, that would be a good example of a, you know, basically a post-infectious arthritis. Um, so it's, it's not that crazy to think that if you had something, especially something that's targeting the uh, ACE2 receptor, so something that's very, you know, common on, in the body, in a lot of different places that if we made a lot of antibodies to it, some of those antibodies might end up targeting areas uh, that are what I would call good. And so that's, again, I think that's why it makes sense why this would happen. So that's why I wanted to uh, kind of review that with everybody because otherwise if people just don't get why injecting something would all of a sudden attack these areas, it's not necessarily they attack the areas. It's that the antibodies produced end up, um, being able to also attack uh, itself, right. right, and as well as the uh, the second uh, shoe to drop on this would be the fact that it, uh, these shots downregulate healthy. Um, in other words, auto regulation. The inflammation that's suppressed naturally by us is um, is removed, if you will, and so there's extra inflammation because of these awful shots for many in many ways but uh it's a double whammy if you will but for it to show up for something like this so acutely you can't dismiss this being the cause the shots were the cause and um 
uh, yeah, once again, we're stuck. Yeah, and, that, and that's actually what they, in their conclusion, say. This cohort study found that individuals who received any COVID-19 vaccine were more likely to be diagnosed with inflammatory musculoskeletal disorders than those who did not. Right. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I think about this is, I mean, I've got some patients myself who have new, you know, the classic example of somebody coming in with, you know, musculoskeletal issues, especially if they're in their 50s or 60s. What are you going to cop it up to, Stuart? I, I usually would say, you know, you overdid it. You're getting older. Um, you know, and very few people sit back and think, oh, yeah, no, actually what's causing that is this shot you took or forced to take, um, and now it's got you where you're kind of sidelined. Right. So, yeah, um, it is uh, all of them. All of these, once again, and they didn't say, and their um, with their final comment about the declare veins, it seems like they weren't just cherry picking these issues. These kind of uh, just seem to probably pop off the page is, man, these things are always occurring, or they're occurring a lot more than they used to. And uh, it's just always important to understand what we're dealing with uh, in the big picture. And what we're dealing with is a very nasty shot that causes a lot of inflammation for a multitude of reasons. And um, we're seeing it. We've seen it. And the thing is, it's so sad, is the doctors, the orthopedists out there, who haven't been following it uh, or very following the truth of the science because the orthopedists, because they focus only on the joints, I should say, they're true scientists, so they're only focusing on this. Is that they uh, they're not raising their head up to say, wait a minute, why are we uh, seeing so many more acute issues than we used to be, and not just and it does occur in the elderly. But it also is occurring more and more in the young people, as you have seen. And I think a musculoskeletal problem that goes back to vascular issues is what you found with the vascular congestion in the pelvis and the collapse of the arteries and the iliac arteries and things like that from these shots that uh, doctors, that orthopedists may miss, just as a reminder to any that are listening. Um, yeah, and actually here's a, you know, when we talk about this, I think uh, I'm thinking of one of my own patients who's got this shoulder issue that he continues to say it didn't happen until I got the vaccine in that shoulder. But, you know, so says we believe that shoulder injury related to vaccine administration, they actually have an acronym for it. It's called SIRVA, S-I-V-R-A, which has already been reported for existing vaccines, may have contributed to the high incidence rates observed. SIRVA is thought to occur by provoking an inflammatory reaction when vaccines are injected through the deltoid, the shoulder muscle, into underlying non-muscular tissues. Subsequent prolonged inflammatory responses after SIRVA could progress to bursitis, tendonitis, and capsulitis around the shoulder joint. Um, and so these findings of the study indicate the COVID-19 vaccine is not exempt from SIRVA. Uh, that is, you know, I, I would have never thought it would have been exempt. Um, but it's just fascinating to think that the inflammation around the shoulder can end up causing capsulitis is something that I've never really even thought about, but yeah, that is interesting. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, so moving on to some other uh, preprint papers that are out there. Um, let's see the, uh, 
Here's one, uh, Jordan, that uh, I sent uh, that I mentioned to you before that I think is super important. Uh, that's not a preprint server paper, but we'll get back to that in a minute. Pfizer is suing Poland, demanding money for undelivered and unwanted COVID shots. Um, this is fascinating. Poland, it turns out, has no uh, no way out of the contract that they did not sign. <laughs> Somehow, Poland is a party to the EU Pfizer contract that was kept confidential from the country, but still obligates the country to pay. And uh, this is very fascinating. I, I just can't believe. Um, yeah, that, that at that point makes me wonder who's actually running the government. Right. But anyway. And, and to it, me, the comparable thing here in the United States is what uh, it looks like Florida, Dr. Uh, Governor DeSantis and Dr. Lapido are doing in Florida is starting to question. And they're saying, along with uh, Texas and another couple of states, that uh, we're not going to allow uh, the promotion of the shots. Um, Thank goodness. But uh, it's right. But it seems to me like it's a corollary to Poland saying, we don't want any more, don't send us any more, because they only have 54% of their, only 54% of their population get the shots. But, um, uh, now they're on the hook for billions of dollars that they had no $1.4 billion that they don't want any, um, they, they, they never had a, they were never a party to the contract. Well, I would like Alabama's attorney. Well, I mean, it. the same thing happens to us where you have right. no recourse, uh, right. if you're injured because you signed or you're sorry, your government signed a contract, uh, saying that they're immune. So, yeah, but the thing is, it sounds like it's going on at the ground level in um, Poland. That's not going on at the ground level in Alabama and almost all the other states. Is that the uh, people in charge of this you know, of our state, for example, are not protecting the consumers, are not protecting the citizens, yeah. uh, are not standing up against this like the people in Poland. And I hope that Poland doesn't pay them another dime uh, because. How, why should they be responsible for something they weren't allowed to evaluate? Um, actually, it was 57% vaccinated, not before. But um, $1.4 billion, they're not paying. Well, I hope they don't pay a dime. Uh, yeah, that's, again, the madness of uh, corporate cronyism or the medical industrial complex that's global. The, uh, you know, again, it's and and somewhat forced by our agencies. I mean, I, th I feel like in many ways, the U.S. really holds up the bar for the WHO and 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 the CDC and and those things basically kind of represent what the world is going to do. So with that, we will be back uh, for the third segment uh, after this. But again, this is Dr. Jordan Bond, Dr. Stuart Tankersley. With America Out Loud, Pulse always one beat ahead. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. 
Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. In 2008, people could spend an average of 12 seconds on a task without becoming distracted. Five years later, it was only eight seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down. Thousands of five-star reviews proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. back to America Out Loud Pulse. I'm Dr. Stuart Tankersley. Uh, once again, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. But unfortunately, leadership in our country has been uh, one of the things we can't be very thankful for during the last four years of COVID. Um, and with the end of today's, uh, the third segment today, uh, what we would like to do is go over uh, some more studies that are in the preprint server validating the insanity of the past four years. Um, these, uh, in review real quick, um, <clears throat> we knew that the lipid nanoparticles that are a part of the, um, that are part of the shots as well as the, uh, messenger RNA and the, um, and the, uh, modified messenger RNA and the other components We've known that they've caused uh, harm 
to multiple to all organ systems. As we said uh, before many times, the lipid nanoparticle accumulates in many different organ tissues and uh, in all organ tissues. <clears throat> and uh, there is detrimental effects to uh, as a result of that that cannot be denied any longer. Uh, these shots, as we have pleaded for, and the uh, Council for World Health and the American, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons have been calling for uh, the cessation of these shots uh, for a long time now, and somebody needs to heed, heed their call. Uh, as we referenced in the first segment, uh, the Polish government uh, last year so- stopped uh, receiving any more Pfizer shots, even though they didn't have the contract because the EU had signed the contract for them and they can't get access to it, uh, which is a bizarre statement. But uh, anyways, America needs to do the same as the Polacks. You can learn uh, from everyone, as the Lord tells us in the Word many times, the fools will be wise and the wise will be fools. Um, And the pride of humanity knows no limits to stupidity. Um, So with that, um, let's look at a few of these articles. Uh, Once again, from South Korea, Seoul, South Korea, uh, Dr. Ji Hoon Su is the lead author in an article, The Spectrum of Non-Fatal Immune-Related Adverse Events Following COVID-19 Vaccination, the Population-Based Cohort Study in Seoul, South Korea. And the objective was to examine the incident rate and risk of non-fatal adverse events, including gynecologic, hematologic, dermatologic, ophthalmic, otologic, and dental problems following the vaccine. And uh, the conclusion was the three-month risks of incidental non-fatal adverse events are substantially higher in vaccinated subjects than in non-vaccinated controls. Our findings suggest that vaccinated subjects with predisposition are potentially vulnerable to the occurrences of a diverse adverse events following, although the vaccines may not be fatal. So um, the results were for three months, they were significantly higher in the vaccinated subjects than the non-vaccinated, except for with all of those uh, organ systems I mentioned earlier, except for endometriosis. The vaccination significantly increased the risks of all the non-fatal adverse events except for visual impairment, even though we've talked about many times before the uh, retinal artery occlusions that are skyrocketing, that have skyrocketed since the uh, shots were introduced. But uh, but following the uh, further on the results showed that the risk of inner ear disease showed the highest hazard ratio among the non-fatal adverse events following the vaccination. Among the vaccinated subjects, heterologous vaccination was associated with the increased risk of most of the non-fatal adverse events. And, uh, it, you know, there you have it. More and more proof of uh, what is known uh, 
throughout. Uh, we've known before this, and now we've seen the uh, deleterious effects of it. Uh, we also see in um, out of uh, Australia another preprint study showing the audio-vestibular adverse events following the vaccination. A new study by Shetty, S-H-E-T-T-Y, lead author. Um, the uh, abstract says the objective is to determine if there was an increase in audio-vestibular adverse events following vaccination in southeastern Australia during January 21 through March of 23. And uh, the outcomes, uh, they were uh, obviously doing a retrospective study of databases, and the results demonstrate an increase in general practice presentations of vertigo following messenger RNA vaccines and tinnitus following both the adenoviral vector and the messenger RNA vaccines. There was no increase in hearing loss following any of the vaccine. Uh, conclusion and relevance. This is the first study that demonstrates an increase in audiovestibular presentations following COVID-19 vaccines, in particular vertigo and tinnitus. Healthcare providers and vaccinees should be alert to potential audio-vestibular complaints after the, they receive the shots. Our analysis highlights the importance of using large real-world data sets to gather reliable evidence for public health decision-making. And, of course, that last sentence uh, in their conclusion uh, is an indictment of those in charge of the world's um, monitoring systems like VAERS that has been intentionally sabotaged. Uh, We've talked about that in the last month uh, with more studies validating that. Dr. Steve, I mean, Steve Kirsch is, a couple of podcasts about that as well. Um, then we look at the um, <clears throat> by a, a Dr. Christopher Ryan. Uh, he is out of uh, SUNY Upstate Medical University Binghamton Clinical Campus, and uh, his paper is the assessment of the effectiveness of required weekly COVID nineteen surveillance antigen testing at a university. And uh, once again, the objective was to mitigate the COVID-19 pandemic. Many institutions implemented a regimen of periodic required testing irrespective of symptoms. The the effectiveness of this surveillance testing requires assessment. Uh, Of course, that would be a normal expectation from such a draconian uh, policy. but. Over the last four years, this is the first of these that I've seen. So the data comprised almost 3,000 records, 393 from surveillance testing, 493 from student health service, and 2,000 from other venues. About 65% of people with COVID-19 detected via surveillance testing were already symptomatic at time of specimen collection. And... uh, the conclusion was surveillance testing at a university detected 393 people with COVID-19, but no earlier in their trajectory than similar aged people detected in the broader community. This casts some doubt on the public health value of such programs, which tend to be labor-intensive and expensive. What they, once again, uh, common sense would tell you uh, that these young people are not at risk. Uh, 
the data from Israel, I think, uh, after two years of FOIA requests, this came out earlier this year. If I remember correctly, there were of people under the age of 50, there were no deaths of those without significant comorbidity, zero. And then the uh, Dr. John Ioannidis out of Stanford, uh, the world-renowned epidemiologist, his study from less than a year ago confirmed what he had shown in March of 20, uh, that the infectious fatality rate under the age of 65 in people was 0.003%. This past weekend, I heard Dr. Robert Malone in a podcast talking about another study out of uh, Europe somewhere that showed the infectious fatality rate overall was uh, that of the flu uh, around 0.029%. Once again, the uh, waste of time and the secondary uh, harms done from these draconian policies, somebody needs to be held to account for them. And then uh, in a um, in a in the final um, study we looked at out of Cambridge University Press, dated November the thirteenth, just a couple of weeks ago today, uh, this week showed that association between face mask use and risk of SARS two COVID infection. Uh, cross-sectional study. Now, this uh, this validates what Dr. Uh, Tom Jefferson, who is the lead author of the uh, big review that was delayed for almost a year before the Cochrane review was uh, released earlier the, at the beginning of this year. You may recall that Dr. Uh, Tom Jefferson uh, was who is a low-key guy, doesn't like uh, the limelight, they finally came out uh, boldly stating how uh, the system was corrupted and it took all he could for uh, them to finally release their report. Uh, It was delayed for extraordinary, uh, certainly unethical reasons. And that study confirmed that uh, COVID masks do not uh, prevent the spread. Well, this study, uh, once again out of the Cambridge Press, the title Association Between Face Mask Use and Risk of the Infection, cross sectional study uh, out of uh, Norway, um, is, is worse than harm. It's not harmful. Uh, the Cochrane Review said that it's not helpful. This study confirmed that it is indeed uh, harmful. So uh, let's uh, review what it found. Uh, let's see here. In summary, we examined the association between face masks and risk of infection with COVID-2 using cross-sectional data from 3,200 participants in a randomized trial of using glasses to reduce the risk of infection with COVID-2. Face mask use was based on participants' response to the end of follow-up survey. We found that the incidence of self-reported COVID-19 was 33% higher than those wearing face masks often or sometimes, and 40% higher than those wearing face masks almost always or always compared to participants who reported wearing face masks never or almost never. 
We believe the observed increased incidence of infection associated with wearing a face mask is likely due to unobservable and hence non-adjustable differences between those wearing and not wearing a mask. Observational studies reporting on the relationship between face mask use and risk of respiratory infections should be interpreted cautiously and more randomized trials are needed. So uh, uh, more randomized trials are needed. Yeah, that could be said about everything. So it's uh, more proof of the abuses that have been imposed on us by uh, egregious abuses that that persist to this day. Um, I think that the summation of, uh, we could probably say this at the end of all of our podcasts, uh, the summation of this week's uh, uh, show um, is clear. Everything, virtually everything the governments of the world have done uh, at least in the uh, developed uh, elite countries like the United States, and I use elite with quotes around it, uh, we've been found to be foolish. The dangers of the public health apparatus around the world is awful, and uh, somebody needs to be held to account I hope and pray that the uh, WHO in their meeting next week or in the following week uh, to review the uh, policies that they're seeking to vote on uh, next May uh, that will give the WHO complete authority to control any and all lives on the planet is uh, is amazing hubris like we've never seen before. Um, how can these people do what they've done and not be held to account. It is the tragedy of tragedies, I would say. But uh, with that, um, there's. Uh, let's conclude with a thankfulness that the awareness of people uh, is uh, growing more and more leaps and bounds. The people that have done this to us uh, have got to be. Um, imp- they've they've got to be imprisoned at least shown the door from their authoritative positions. And I'm not talking about just the WHO. At the federal levels, as well as at the, in our country, the uh, state and county and city levels, these people all need to go. They clearly bought into fear, fear, fear. That was a part of the plan from the beginning to drive the insanity. And uh, people need to go. People that have done this to us have got to be held to account because virtually everything they did was wrong, wrong, and wrong time and time again. There's no way to uh, be hyperbolic about this, to overstate the damage they've done intentionally. Um, The intent is obviously there because, uh, as I've said in previous uh, shows, that uh, in the military, the planning section, the five section, if you will, Their goal is to help the command see around the corner and adjust uh, courses of action in order to win the fight. The people that have been in charge of all of this for the last four years uh, have had a playbook and they've run by it. They have not deviated from it hardly at all. Um, And it's time for these people to be held to account. Past time. And uh, we hope the people of the 
of this country and the world, uh, hold them to account. And that the judicial systems in the world wake up, repent, and do their job. With that, thank you for joining us again. Talk to you next week on America Out Loud Pulse on iHeartRadio. This is Dr. Stuart Tankersley.